Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. How is everyone? Please be seated. Uh, Thank you, James. I always say James um, should do the intro for the uh, boxing. And uh, so good. Fantastic. Well, we had a lovely time last night. If you weren't able to make it with us, we really do hope you had an amazing uh, New Year uh, celebration. Uh, We had a wonderful time. Uh, We managed to have some worship around the bonfire. And um, do you know the funny thing is um, we have... uh, and neighbours with us, Michael and, and Marta, and um, when they bought their house, right, when they were buying their house, they, the solicitor came along and he said to them, look, I just want to warn you that um, the people who own that house, they're, 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 they have a church there. Who knows what they could be doing? They could be having songs around the bonfire. <laughs> and uh, there we were having songs around the bonfire. Uh, uh, <laughs> And uh, so uh, the funny thing is they, they phoned the church. They, uh, Marta phoned the church, didn't she? She phoned the church to find out whether we actually had church in the house or, or anywhere else and discovered we'd said, no. We lied, of course, but <laughs> uh, we don't have church in there. We didn't know who the, fo- the phone call was and we just said, no, we don't have a, a church in Ellen. We're, we're in Aberdeen. And, uh, but then the rest is history. And, uh, and now we sing round the fire. But we do keep our clothes on, so that's okay. <laughs> Particularly after last night. And that was, it started raining just as we, just towards the end. But, uh, oh, good times, good times. The fire was still burning this morning. For those of you who are interested in such things, we managed to get it going by, uh, I, I had some more rubbish left over that we couldn't burn. So I took that out this morning and, and uh, gave the fire a bit of a, a stoke up and uh, away it went again, which is just so cool. I just love, who loves bonfires? Yeah. Bonfires, God designed bonfires. It was, yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's a godly moment just to sit around and, and poke the fire. And everyone has to, men have to have sticks to poke the fire. It's like, it's a man thing. You just go... And then someone else comes along, and they don't, obviously don't like the way you poked it, so they come and poke it too. <laughs> Everyone feels like they can build the fire up a bit better, so fantastic time. Yeah, I want to speak a word to... The Holy Spirit spoke to me about living, uh, having a year of contentment. I want to speak about a year of contentment, living with contentment. And um, most of you know... Uh, the story of my life. For those of you who don't know, um, my own parents, um, how I grew up. My parents, um, my my father, when he was 28, um, he became extremely sick with a a, a rare form of arthritis that seized his spine um, from uh, from his neck um, all the way down. He shrunk. He was five foot seven, as my mum, as my dad used to say, five foot seven and three quarters, because my mum was five foot seven. And uh, he was five foot seven and three quarters, but he shrunk all the way down, ultimately um, down to about five foot. And um, his head was stuck sort of forward. He couldn't move his head. He had very limited movement in his shoulder and his legs. He, and uh, for most of my childhood, he was in um, extraordinary pain. 
the whole time. He, he was never out of pain. Uh, and um, that, that sort of came at a time when he was, um, he was part of a, had a family. My grandfather had a, a family business, um, and the boys inherited the family business. Uh, he, my dad was one of um, eight children, four boys, four girls. The girls didn't get a look in in those days, and so the boys inherited the business. But my uncles went, I don't think at that time, overly keen on my dad sort of taking a share because he was considerably younger than them. And uh, so they made life quite difficult for him. Uh, and eventually he, he, he um, sold his share of the business and, and uh, we moved away from uh, the town that I was born in. And, uh, but my mum also, she, um, she was a very intelligent woman, uh, very musical, very artistic uh, and uh, would, when I'd come home from school, you'd always find her head in a book somewhere uh, reading. She was very intelligent, and she, she qualified for grammar school but wasn't allowed to go uh, because why would you educate girls? They'd have to get married, have children, cook, and mend dresses. So that was, that was mum's life, and she did that. I mean, she had six kids, and, and she made lots of clothes, um, but she was ex- extremely intelligent and, and wasn't really allowed to pursue that education, uh, wasn't even encouraged to pursue, as uh, she was an artist uh, primarily, she, um, but she wasn't really encouraged to pursue that until after mum and dad got married, and then she actually went back to uh, evening classes to, to really pursue her love of art. And um, uh, so mum and dad had a difficult um, sort of start to life, but they were, my mum and dad were very much in love with each other, and, and uh, they were always together, they, they were never apart. And, but we grew up in a life of poverty. Dad wasn't able to work um, very fast because of his sickness, and uh, but very just like headstrong, and and he sort of grew up. Mum and Dad um, were born into that generation, that sort of wartime generation that we recognise today is probably one of the the great generations of the last hundred years because of their their stoic and uh, their selflessness in the way they dealt with such hard times. And, and I think historically we look back at the wartime generation and, and we look at the way they dealt with the hardness of life and, and we realise that they had, they had such strength of character that perhaps is missing in today's society. You, you understand me by that. They're just the... the, the, the the heroicism in which they, they just faced everyday issues in life, whether they were fighting in the war or whether they were at home dealing with um, just the everyday issues of, of, of making life work for the family. And, and that was that general. My parents kind of, um, they were children in, during that era, but they grew up in that environment. And here's the amazing thing, that over the years I, I saw my parents fret and, 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 and go through difficult times when they never had money to pay bills and, and um, they didn't have money to, to put food on the table. Um, and I saw them go through such, such difficult, difficult seasons. But the one thing I never saw them do is complain. They never complained. It was like, and it was like they just, they never blamed anyone. It wasn't anyone's fault. It wasn't the government's fault. It wasn't somebody else's fault. For They just never complained about the difficulty that they were facing in life. You know what? It's so often that we face 
difficulties in life and we want to blame someone. One of the things that irritates me the most is while listening on the radio is when something's going wrong and they use it. Who's, who's to blame? I've heard that said, who's to blame? So you've got to blame someone for something. In other words, you've got to... And by blaming someone else in anything in life, it, it, it means that you're, you're detaching yourself from any sense of responsibility for your own life. You've just got to blame somebody else. And you're just detaching yourself away from that responsibility. And, but my parents grew up in a generation where you didn't blame people for anything. You just dealt with your life. You took on your life and you faced it and you went through it. And you didn't complain. And, and there was, I used to, I mean, my dad, in terms of his, he was a brilliant craftsman, uh, but not a great businessman. And uh, he would always, um, he would always, underprice his work. He, 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 didn't, he didn't know how to charge people thousands of pounds when he could charge, when he charged, charged them hundreds and not thousands. He could, he could have charged them because for the skill of his work. And, and, um, but he, he wasn't, but he never stopped dreaming and he, he never stopped planning. Uh, and with all the difficulties in life, I, I remember many times that, that he, would, he would write down these plans of what he was going to do. And I remember at one time he was going to, um, we've got a, at home, we've got a spinning wheel um, that my father made. My mum used to spin the wool uh, from the sheep. We had a sheep. Um, we ate him in the end, of course, but he was a good pet for a while. And uh, so, and we had this um, uh, sheep that we used to, we used to take the wool and mum would spin the wool. And uh, I've still got some of the, the wool on the, on the spinning wheel that, that mum was, was uh, spinning. And uh, so I've got, my father used to make the spinning wheels and he made these, be- I mean, they're beautiful spinning wheels and he, he was going to have this business and he just, he dreamt all the time about doing all these different things. But what was, what was in their heart really that was just contentment? There was a, there was a contentment with what they had. And, and when my father and I eventually ended up setting up business together, um, it was at a time when I, I'd been working for my uncles and my uncles had shut the family business down by that point and uh, shut it down. And so I went back to dad and I said, look, can we do something? And so we decided to do it. And dad wasn't earning much money at the time and his sickness had caused him to sort of lose a lot of work. And so we set up this business and, and we were working away and we, we paid ourselves from the business. We paid ourselves 40 pounds a week each. And most people would complain about the lack of money. But I remember my dad saying after about three months of, of 40 pounds a week uh, in 1987. And he, and he just said, you know, Kevin, he says, 40 pounds a week more than what I was getting. <laughs> just 40 pounds a week more than what I was getting. Yeah. See, contentment. Contentment is an amazing thing. Let me tell you something about contentment. Contentment is not actually an attitude. That's where we go wrong because we think it's an attitude. Contentment's an attitude. Contentment is a fruit. Contentment is a fruit that grows in your life. You think it's an attitude because you can't create an attitude of contentment. You can try and be more thankful. Being thankful is a good attitude to have. But contentment is a fruit. Let me read to you from, let me read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, we'll have a look at how this works. And, and I really want to, I'm, I've got six points. So are we going to be here a long time? <laughs> no, honestly, we've got six points and we're going to do them really quickly. Uh, and I encourage you if, you, if you don't write these down, right, I encourage you to get the podcast and, and uh, listen to it again. Because 
Um, I guarantee you won't remember them all. Right, so um, 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 says this, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, from which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you are also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, Paul sets out this famous bit of scripture and this piece of scripture is often the little, we take little bits of verse out of this and we used it perhaps in, in, in um, out of context. But Paul's talking about contentment. That's what it's about. And he's talking about how you lose contentment when you make something a greater focus than your heart toward God. And he's focusing on, on money, which is, there are, there are, money is one of the great issues in life that we, we struggle to get it right in our heart toward God. I mean, when, when you've got just enough coming in, you're okay with God. And when you've got a lot coming in, you know, you're okay. But when your money dries up, then that is a test of where your faith is. You with me here? It just is. And, and I, I would say to anyone, if you've never been through a season when, where you are broke, then you've never learned how to overcome that issue. And I think everyone needs to learn how to overcome and just learn how to lean in God. And uh, Cheryl and I have had many seasons of our life when we've actually had absolutely nothing. I mean nothing, not a bean. And uh, no food in the cupboard apart from lentils, which I hate. And uh, nothing. And just... Just no money and just broke, but leaning into God. It, it teaches you how to trust him. But in all of these things, Paul is saying, and he was saying the love of money is actually the love of anything. It's actually the love of anything, which is above your love of God, will bring into your life great hardship and pain. But Paul is saying, a spirit of contentment, a contentment with godliness or godliness with contentment is great gain. Who wants great gain in their life? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think a life with gain is a life worth pursuing. Yeah. But it's the type of gain that I'm looking for is the, is the gain where the fruits of what God has got for my life, these are the things which will satisfy me. How many of you found over the Christmas period there were moments that were just satisfying a good meal it's good isn't it you sit down you have a really good meal we had um um obviously with uh, new year's day being a sunday it kind of upsets the rhythm slightly doesn't it because it, it at some point you're going to go to church and and uh on on new year's day and so for us um we cooked what would normally be a, a family meal at six o'clock we're in church at six so we had a family meal at at two o'clock, which kind of sets you then after you've eaten. And it was a nice meal. And we had, oh, we had lamb. I just love a leg of lamb. We put it in, put it in the cooker at nine o'clock this morning. Oh, it 
was so good. And, uh, but, and then you, and roast potatoes, who loves roast potatoes? Jesus invented roast potatoes. Uh, I'm sure it's in the Bible somewhere. And, uh, and, and uh, we had, and you sit back afterwards and you're like, oh, that was good. That's just this sense of satisfaction. There's a, but you know what? In all of these things, a sense of there's always a time. We, we want great gain. We want to gain a place of peace. We want to gain a place of, of certainty, a place of advancement. We want an advancement in our life. Paul is saying contentment is your key. If you can live a, have a year of contentment, You can have a year of gain. So here's the thing. And Paul sets out and he sets out all of these things and he speaks about the issue of money and 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 all of those issues about making it um, putting it in the wrong place in your life. And then he says and then he says here in verse 11, he says, but you, O man of God, flee those things and pursue. And he sets out these points. And um, he sets out these six points and he says, righteousness, he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. And I think these are, um, I think these are a sort of key points for our life. And the first one is simply righteousness. And righteousness is simply a life of living right. Just a life of living right. Make your life right. Live rightly. Living rightly is, is, is setting up your heart when somebody offends you, you forgive them. Living rightly. When somebody does wrong to you, you bless them back. Living rightly. When an opportunity of, of, of gain, maybe at the supermarket, where they don't put the food through and you notice... Or they give you the wrong change, you give it back. It's called living rightly. It's being righteous. Righteous and honourable. I remember when I had my business, this um, timber lorry turned up and we were taking delivery. And this guy said, oh, look, I, says, I forgot to drop off this timber. I've got all this timber. I just give it to you. I said, I said what? My brother goes, brother goes oh. I mean, it's like great gain, right? It's got all this free timber. Timber's expensive. And we were, had all this furniture we had to make, and this was timber we could use. Great gain. And we, we stopped and we looked at each other. This is why, why you're processing the thought process. It's like it's going through your head. This sounds amazing. And then in the back of your mind, alarm bells start ringing. Boop, boop, boop. It's going. This is about the most stupid thing you could do. On a, you know why? Because we are, not, we are measured by different standards. Yeah. When you give your heart to God, I don't know what people do in the world, and I don't know whether they get away with it or not, but I know for certain I never will. <laughs> I know for certain I will never get away with it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether other people do or don't. I'm not interested. I know this, that righteous living brings a blessing to my life, and there is no other option. Yeah. There is no other option. It just, it, you, you cannot be blessed. So you, go, you come before God again. I thank you, Lord, for the stolen timber. <laughs> it's like, it just doesn't work, does it? it it's just like, that's all right, my son, I stole it for you. <laughs> it's not going to work. 
Righteousness. The first seed is righteousness. The second one is godliness. Now, godliness, I was always brought up to believe in, in traditional Christian environment, that godliness was somehow some kind of pained expression of life where you, you deny yourself all sorts of comforts that in your, un- your, your lack of comfort, that somehow that's godliness, which is obviously stupidity. That's not godliness in, in, in any way. Godliness is simply this. It's reverence and godly fear. It's just, being, it's just being reverent. It's reverent towards God, respectful of who he is, honoring him, bringing an honor to the Lord, making the honor of God the priority of your life above all things. Make that the part of your year and you will begin to find a seed of contentment. Why? Because you're putting in right. See, see contentment is a fruit that grows in the right conditions. And what these seeds are, are the seeds that create conditions from which the fruit of contentment can grow. And so here we have godliness, we have righteousness, and we have godliness. It's, it's living with a, a reverence and a holy fear. And then we have faith. And faith, we all think we know what faith is, but faith is believing in the divine, for the divine, to the divine. Let me say that again. Believing in the divine, for the divine, to the divine. So the reason is this, is faith is not about a thing. We think faith is about a thing. I'm believing for a thing. I'm believing for a lectern. I need to buy a new lectern. I don't, but it's an example. I need to buy, <laughs> in fact, we're even thinking about getting rid of the lectern. Because it's it stops me from preaching at this side of the church. <laughs> Maybe I should move it over here. This is going to upset everyone's equilibrium now because there's a certain pattern to church and I always preach this way because there's something stopping me from preaching that way. So now I'm going to preach at you lot. And uh, that's why they say, yeah. (laughs) And some of you need it. And uh, so... (laughs) so (laughs) But faith, faith is not a thing. It is not for a thing. Faith is for God. We have faith in the divine. We have faith in the divine nature of God. We have faith in in his divinity who creates all things. We know that all things exist because he exists. We know that life comes through him, from him and back to him. We know that when we receive blessings, we give back to him because we live because of who he is. God blesses this world whether we believe in him or not. His blessing comes upon us and even in the trials and the hardships of life, God has poured out a line of blessing that enables us to anchor our heart and faith in him. So faith is about him, it's not about the thing. We have to, people are believing, oh, if I can get faith to be healed. It's not about the healing, it's about your faith in him. Just have faith in him, God is able to do all things through your life, amen? And what happens is this, what I found is this, that when I turn my heart toward God, the things that I am concerned about reposition themselves in order of true importance. So we create a list of important things in our mind, don't we? 
the, I've got these things that we have the most urgent things that we need to deal with in life. Where we find those things are important, and we, we create a list of important things and urgent things, and and then we have things that we really would like, and the things that we would like. Maybe you would really like a, some new shoes or something, or and uh, and you like those things. I I um, I mean, I sound like a girl now, right? I know, but I. Uh, <laughs> I like shoes. I, I grew up, you know what, I, when I, it's probably because of how I grew up. When I grew up, my feet used to grow through my shoes before I got new ones. And they would come up, and my shoes looked like sharks, so they would, uh, the ends would flap. And, and, uh, but I, I love shoes, and I love boots, and I love I just, I, learn, I walk through and I often walk through and I look at, I go past Soul Trader or one of those shops and I look at it and I just pick them up and I'm looking for the really, the well-made ones, like Loki shoes where they stitch them all the way around and they're, they're, they're like sort of, there's a, there's a part handmade and you're looking at a bit of craftsmanship and, and you like it and you look at it and you go, what, 250 pounds? Wow. Just looking to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> All right then. <laughs> I mean, you can you can look at things, right? But when you turn your heart toward God, everything comes into this order of importance. You know, many years ago, when Cheryl and I were looking for a house, for those of you who came out, many heard the story again for the those you didn't know the story about how we, we got our house. But here's the thing, right? You see, in our house, we have a grand piano. And the piano came with the house. There aren't many houses with grand pianos that go with them in the sale. But when you consider that if you've got an old grand piano in the house, what's the owner going to do? Going to go, am I going to pay like 500 quid to move the thing when it's only worth 200 It's like you're not going to, you're just going to leave the thing behind. But here's the thing, in my heart, in my heart, I'd always wanted a house where I could have a grand piano. I can't play, but other people can, and there's nothing more beautiful. I grew up in a house where my sister and my mum used to play, and I grew up in a house where a piano was played, and it does something to my soul when it's played. It's when, when the kids play on it, when Cheryl plays the piano, I sit down, I open a book, and my soul is just gets to me, right? I always wanted a house with a grand piano. But I never put it on the prayer list because you can't get any more frivolous than a house without... I mean, we need a house, right? We need, we need bedrooms we can put the kids in. Oh, by the way, I want a grand piano. Get a grip! But God gave me a house with a grand piano. Isn't that a blessing? It's like, it's like you, you put the things in order... Before the Lord, you just trust him with the things rather than things you want. You towards faith in the divine, God will sort out the list of things that he wants to bless you with. He will give you the things that he wants to bless you with. The next one is love. And love is more than affection towards someone. I believe that love is a composition of forgiveness of historical wrong. Grace for current circumstance, mercy for inherent weakness, and generosity for an empowered future. Let me read that to you. I I believe that love is a 
a composition of forgiveness of historical wrong, grace for current circumstance, mercy for inherent weakness, and generosity for an empowered future. And I believe that if we can live with that kind of love flowing in our heart, then we're sowing a seed, we're creating an environment where our life is being blessed. And if our life is being blessed, there's a sense of contentment, the ability to be able to step back and look at our life and go, thank you, Jesus, because we've created the right environment. The fifth one is patience. How many people say, oh, I just need to be a bit more patient? I'm not, I'm a really patient man, am I, Cheryl? It's a terrible wife. We got away. Yeah, we practice this, sweetheart. When I say I'm a patient man, you say, right, you can't get your wife to lie. So, not even to the church. You go. It's like, so patience is one of those, I I like things to be done. Now, I I hate sitting in a queue of traffic. I always have to go in the other lane. You know, there's a long lane of people and there's an empty lane. I'll go down the empty lane and find out why. (laughs) I just want to find why is it empty. I mean, there's got to be a reason, right? And and when I get to the end of why it's empty, then I'll work my way in somehow. (laughs) <laughs> I just can't, I just don't want to sit in, I, patience is a, is, is a difficult thing in life, but here's the thing, patience as a virtue in the presence of God is simply faith in the process. Patience is faith in the process. See, there's a process working through your life, and patience is faith in that process. One of the most important things you can do is have patience in the midst of your trials so you don't make jump decisions that are causing you to react in your circumstance. Patience. What's God doing in my life? Have you noticed God won't tell you most of it? He doesn't tell you most of it. He just tells you little headlines like, I love you. Oh, gee, tell me something else. I need to know more than this. But he won't tell you. He'll tell you little bits. He tells you enough to keep you going because he knows that we only need to know what we're dealing with today and tomorrow. In fact, he says, don't even worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough problems of its own. Just trust me for today. Patience. Patience. Faith in the process. All right, that's the fifth one. Sixth one, the last one is gentleness. And I love this. I think gentleness is is one of those things that we don't really think about because gentleness is strength under self-control. Gentleness is is strength under self-control. To be gentle, a father is gentle with their children. You have great strength, but you hold your children. Your child is safe in your arms because of your strength. Isn't that amazing? See, see, our strength is what empowers us to be gentle. See, what gentle is, is a kindness to those who are weaker as we hold them. Gentleness. So what gentleness, see, see, God is gentle with us, right? He has absolute strength. He can do absolutely anything. Father God, total 
power, total power. Yet, I've never met anyone who, who would ever come back and say anything other than God has just been so kind to me. Like, he just helped me. His arms were around me. I mean, you'll meet many people who go, oh, I, I, I don't feel God right now. <laughs> but that's, that's a different issue altogether. That's not because he's not there. It's because our mind wandered. <laughs> right? And so our mind can, we can't feel him. But he's always there. And what is he always doing? He's not punishing you. He's not coming down with a rod of iron. He's not angry with you. He's not, he, he doesn't want to hurt you. His love is always to protect you. The Bible says that we are covered under his wings. The wings of the Father that we come under, nestled under him. Great strength. And what does gentleness do? Gentleness does this. When a child nestles into the arms of their parents, what are they doing? They are sourcing identity. Strength of their own. A sense of self-worth, value acceptance, gentleness. It's one of those things we don't appreciate. When you're gentle with someone, actually what you do is you give them... Being gentle with a person is taking your strength and being kind with your strength enables them to grow. It's giving them capacity to be able to move. When you're gentle with with your child, the child might be wriggling, but you've got greater strength. You You can just hold them and stop them from moving if you want to, but we know that doesn't do them any good <laughs> for health-wise. <laughs> so you let them move a bit. What are you doing when you're gentle with a, a child? You're, when you're intellectually strong, you're gentle with them, it empowers them, it gives them a sense of identity because you're gently bringing your strength and resting it over their life and they're growing in it. What does gentleness do? It creates identity. It creates a place of worth and value. I was um, with some pastors, um, and uh, some of them were sort of older pastors, were talking about the challenge of younger generation. Now, I've never understood that at first, because I've never had a problem relating to younger generation, as if you have old people and young people, and there's somehow this divide. And I know that in society, society feels often divided between the younger and the older. And yet, time is going on and the younger were younger and now they're older. So I was younger once, as we all were. Even Jim was young once, but Methuselah was his mate. So, (laughs) So it's like... and, And so, but then people complain. And here's the thing. The most important thing for older generation, younger generation, is this. Young, older generation are always the ones complaining first, right? And they complain young people are rude or not interested or whatever and these kind of things. They, those are the classic complaints. And what they're doing is, they're, they're, what they're doing is it's the older generation's responsibility first to show love, gentleness... And acceptance of the younger generation. Because what that does is it gives them a sense of identity and a sense of value. When you give a younger generation value, they will give older generation respect. 
That's where you want respect. The older, the older people want respect. Well, the only way you're going to get it is by giving value. And I remember just, I, I love hanging out with the younger ones. In fact, Pastor Dave Gilpin, who was here for Christmas, uh, Pastor, for those of you who don't know, Pastor Dave and Jenny, they have uh, about 12 churches um, around the UK and, and um, um, the, rest of, the rest of the world. And, and uh, his church in Sheffield is over 1,000 people. And, he's just, a, and uh, he's just a great guy. And one of the things that I've noticed with Dave is that he loves hanging out with the young people. Actually, the young people love hanging out with Dave. Dave is 57, but the young people love hanging out with him. Why? Because he gives them value, helps them mature. His pastors in Sheffield, 32, 30, I think they're about 32, Collins 32, 33. He's pastoring the church, 1,000 people, 32 years of age. I saw him when he was 22, and I just watched him hang out with Dave. Dave just gave him value, gave him identity, and Colin gave him respect. Now he's the pastor. Isn't that amazing? You know what that is? That's Dave's gentleness. It's working. It's a a beautiful example. Gentleness is taking your strength and applying it to other people's lives in a sweet way that enables them to grow in it. Gives them identity and value. And these are the composites. These are the things that bring a year of contentment. I really believe that we, as we focus this year, that we must carry contentment in our heart. We will have an extraordinary gain. I believe in godliness. I believe in righteousness and faith and love. To have patience and to be gentle. These great virtues, these these values of our life, will bring about a spirit of contentment. It will just naturally occur out of our life. How amazing will it be to raise another generation that can be as stoic and selfless as the generation of our grandparents? How amazing would it be to raise a generation of men and women who are able to face the greatest trials and not be complaining or arguing or finger-pointing but learning how to overcome. Because sure as anything, we will face greater battles yet. A year of blessing is not a year without battles. It is a year where God goes with us in the battle. We know that there will be many trials ahead of us. For God said we will have trials. It's the surest thing there will ever be. But it's not about the trials. It's about the presence of God that carries with us. How about raising a generation of people that are content in their heart, uncomplaining in their spirit, that just strength of faith and life, where we can live a life praising God and thanking Him for every part of every good thing that comes our way and see great gain in everything we do. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.